Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Iran Aloni, Executive Vice President of Ecosystem and Business Development at Gong, whose mission is to accelerate revenue team productivity. This is the second and final part of my extended discussion with Elon. Check out part one for his insights on how to build a self-service upsell engine to drive growth. And now we continue our chat. Hey, Ron, when we spoke last time, we went into some depth on how to set up a successful self-checkout process and the incredible impact that had on revenue performance for Gong. Having been the head of customer success for many years there, I'm sure there were other initiatives that also had large impacts. What's another one that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think one that had a huge impact, and I know talking to other uh, leaders in the space, is it's always a question that they struggle with is ownership of revenue and the kind of collaboration between customer success and sales. How do you structure that? How do you align those two teams? And, and how do you do that in different segments of the business? So I think like many early stage companies until maybe four years ago, our CSM did everything across all segments. So they would anywhere from onboarding customers, doing the QBRs, renewals, upsells. So they owned everything. They did training. They really a one-stop shop for the customer, which has a lot of benefits, but really hard to scale, especially as you go up market and as your business becomes more complicated. And what we noticed after a few years of doing it that way was, was a few things. One, when you go up market from a contracting perspective, from a salesmanship perspective, it's really hard to scale a team that everyone is a jack of all trades and they're perfect and they're awesome and doing everything. And we actually saw in some larger renewals and upsells that you know we're not doing a great job there. So we decided to add what we call a customer account executive team that would work side by side with CSMs and own accounts in our mid-market segments and above. So our commercial team still, for the most part, CSMs own uh, revenue as well. Mid-market and above, we added a customer team. That was obviously a big change and something that we keep iterating on. Like, what are the roles and responsibilities? What works? What doesn't work? How do we make sure that they're aligned? The market changes and you need to maybe tweak alignment and tweak roles uh, constantly. But it actually had a huge impact on, on our business, both in terms of renewals and upsell and cross-sell performance. When one splits that out, the the account management commercial responsibility from the, the customer success non-commercial responsibility, there are some parts of the dividing line that I think are more clear, like onboarding and customer education, usage, value, you know, recovery and, and determination and so on. I, I think one of the super fuzzy areas that I've always felt is who should own the QBR with the customer because, right, the, the CSM may or may not have the, those high-level executive relationships, especially if you call a QBR an executive business review. So where have you drawn the dividing line for those mid-market enterprise professionals on, on some, of those, some of those kind of trickier areas? Yeah, it, it definitely changes over time because it's, it's an ongoing learning uh, process. I would say QBR is one. You actually mentioned executive who owns the the relationship with the executive and when we started we kind of drew the line that 
in order to create a strong commercial motion, we wanted the, the sales team to really own the executive level relationship. What we've seen over time is that sometimes it's a double-edged sword because you actually want to CSM to have the executive relationship in order to align business priorities and to make sure that we have top-down alignment and support to the initiatives we're trying to run, that we have the right stakeholders involved, et cetera, et cetera. So we shifted that a little bit because uh, it felt like the CSM was not empowered to work with the executive or every time that we needed executive aligned, we needed to pull the salesperson in and that account may may be in a good position maybe there's no upside there maybe the renewal is eight months away so it was sometimes difficult to and probably not the right decision to get a salesperson trying to get an executive to be involved right so so we tweak that over time to make sure that it's not so much about ownership of a relationship but the context of that relationship right so what what are the types of conversations or types of processes that you're running with the account versus creating sort of an artificial block for whether it's the salesperson or the cs person to have a strong relationship with uh with someone in in the account and we actually create stronger clarity over time about the difference between a QBR and an EBR, especially in the enterprise space where it's actually a very different agenda, where a QBR probably follows more uh, along the lines of like, how are we doing in terms of adoption? How are we doing in terms of initiatives we're running? What are the things that we need to execute on in terms of next steps in the account? Whereas an EBR has some of that, but is much more attuned towards here's all the value, here's the ROI, here's where we think we can drive in even more ROI, and let's work together to find new opportunities for us to drive more value or expand the account. And obviously, those are not completely separate discussions, but both in terms of the scope of the discussion and in terms of like who needs to be there and who needs to drive that discussion that level of roles and responsibility there, we got better and better over time in defining those. In an EBR, would you not only have the CSM and the AE, but would you also bring in executives even beyond the sales or CS team from inside of Gong to align with the peer execs on the other side? Definitely. Whether it's an executive sponsor, if it's a larger account, or it could be a professional services person, it could be a partner if there's a partner involved, we have a value engineering team where if there's a really deep dive into data analysis and, and value, and sometimes depending on the use case, right, we may bring executives from our own team that add specific value to that conversation. So if we have a very deep discussion around forecasting or managing pipeline or strategic enablement, then we would bring our, you know, executives from our team to share how we're doing it. That's one of the questions we get a lot. Like, how does Gong use use Gong? And so it's not just sharing what other customers are doing, which is always valuable, but also bringing some of what we're doing. And obviously, a lot of times in those EBRs, you want to drive 
long-term relationships. You want to share pieces of the roadmap. So you may have a product person involved or, or someone else. So we try to make sure that we have a very clear agenda coming into the EBR, and then we can bring the relevant people to add more context to it. There's a risk when you do separate that commercial and non-commercial post-sale motions that you might have AEs having 15 different meetings with 15 different CSMs on their accounts or vice versa, right? And you just get into internal meeting madness. What I would presume you put some processes and systems in, in place to ensure that that chaos did not happen. How, how do you go about that account alignment? We've been growing tremendously quickly over the past few years. So that problem of just managing that account association or managing the books when you're acquiring a lot of new customers, a lot of your customers are growing and you're hiring a lot of people. I think the unsung heroes behind the scenes of every growing company are the operations people that make this machine work. That was a huge problem for us as we were scaling, because as you mentioned, you're doubling or tripling the team every year, you're doubling or tripling your customer base every year. And then you may start with one CSM working with one or two salespeople, but then you switch books and you realign them and you hire more people and a year goes by and they can have six, seven, eight people that are working with. And that's madness, right? Both in terms of productivity working styles, creating a strong relationship, creating the trust between the teams. And frankly, at, at some point, you ask yourself, just to make sure that we're running the process to benefit the customer, not to benefit our own teams, right? Are we realigning books because it's good for us? Or are we realigning books because it's good for the customer? So we invested a huge amount there. One thing I learned the hard way was I was in an organization where we shuffled our customer success assignments and we did it kind of all at once in the middle of you know whatever it was just in the middle of the year and we realized that was that was kind of a tragic mistake because you had all these relationships that were in place and and what we realized after that was we should have waited for either a CSM to depart or waited for after the renewal had happened on a particular account do you, do you have any any rules of engagement that are like that for how you shuffle account assignments yeah, and w one of the big changes we made is actually really orient ourselves to make sure that we're not switching accounts unless we absolutely have to, both because of the relationships and the continuity, but also because there's so much knowledge that is inherent that you can transfer that knowledge. And obviously, all of our conversations are in Gong and everything is searchable, so you can find everything. But there's a lot of like business acumen that CSMs and salespeople have, understanding their customer business, understanding what they're trying to achieve, and inherently knowing how we can drive more value to them and how we can find more ways that we can help them. That keeping accounts for longer and longer terms has a huge benefit. There are points in the life cycle where it might actually be a good idea to make a switch. You know, sometimes when you own an account for too long, maybe you're becoming a little bit complacent. Maybe you have a little bit of, maybe you're not really as attuned to maybe signals from the account or maybe a relationship changes on the account that requires a change. But that was one of the things that we did uh, really try to keep accounts for as long as possible with at least one of the two members of the team. So either the CSM or the CAE. And when we make a change, 
take into account the account health, the renewal, is there like a large opportunity open, and the specific types of skill set that you need in that account. So for example, if this account is in a certain space, do we have a CSM that is really, maybe they have three or four other accounts with similar business models, so they can bring their knowledge in and they can share that with a new account that they'll get, so they can add specific value to to the account in ways that maybe others couldn't. There's another risk in having so many people touching an account, which is their messages are not always aligned or the customer experience is not always aligned. But I have to say, you guys have what's arguably the most envied brand in the business, both in terms of what you know Udi and others have done, right? I don't, uh, Chris Orlob obviously involved and Devin Reed and so forth, right, in these things. But also the customer experience, right, uh, of, I think, the way people interact. And I, I listened to one of the episodes you had done on, on another great podcast, and you'd mentioned that you pay attention to every interaction with every customer and every person at Gong. So what have you done to make sure that there is people, you know, singing from the same playbook and delighting customers across both the, you know, AEAM value engineer executive, right? You have all these different people talking to the customer. How, how do you make sure that, that that's a delightful experience every time? Yeah. I mean, first of all, obviously, we have gone very heavily, right? So, and we have a culture that promotes getting feedback and sharing successes and sharing challenges so we can address them. So I think that helps that openness and that ability to tackle things as they happen helps us with enablement and helps us create the culture that we need. And in many ways, that's actually number one. We cannot and should not be on the front lines with people in every conversation that that's not something that could actually work. So how do you create the culture? How do you create the operating principles that people just know inherently what is expected of them? And when they need to make a decision, how do you make the right decision? Right? So we have our operating principles are pretty famous out there. One of them is creating raving fans, which by the way, we've never said that this is our number one operating principle, but everyone refers to it as our number one operating principle, which is telling. And what it actually means is that people know that when you have a fork in the road, you know, here's like a few set of guidelines of how you need to think, like, how do you take that fork in the road? You don't have to talk to your manager. You just inherently know. And it's all grounded in how we work that very quickly people just know that this is what's expected of them. So it's, it's very inherent in how people work. What's an instance that pops to mind where somebody could have taken one of multiple forks in the road, but chose something that would create a raving fan? What's what's something either you jumped in or or one of your CSMs jumped in and, and did something that amazed the customer? Oh, I know there's day-to-day occurrences. We, we actually have uh, our CEO and other people keep – we have a channel for <laughs> that type of praise, and it's just blowing up every single day. But I think the point where it actually manifests itself the, the most is those hard moments, right? And during the height of COVID or even today, like there are a lot of customers and a lot of companies that unfortunately are having some, some hard times and they're coming us for help. And, you know, sometimes if you just look at the letter of the, you know, whatever the agreement that we have or what we agreed upon a few months ago, there's one thing that is written there, but 
you know, things change and we're trying to help customers and we have CSMs and salespeople that are doing that day in and day out. You know, things happen and unfortunately sometimes companies are, you know, in a different position today than they were six months ago and we're there to help, right? And if it was only whatever, the salesperson or the CSM quota or metrics, they would hold the line in one way. But when you know that this is genuine, the customers, they really need our help and they need us to be flexible. And a lot of times we we do that, whether it's by allowing them to use the product a little bit more than before or finding ways to repurpose things or being a little bit more lenient in some areas. Again, we have our own business to run and we have to be cognizant of that. But those conversations are not easy. And it's not just about the outcome. It's also about how you run those conversations. How empathetic are you and how, how collaborative are you with the customer? There, sometimes they have some tough times and they just need the help. Just to wrap up, I have one last fun one outside, maybe in the business context, but outside of the business context. And I may have a bit of a suspicion because I have an advantage that our listeners don't have of seeing your background. But what were you doing the last time you found yourself in a state of flow? Oh, I think you're referring probably I have some guitars up here on the wall. Unfortunately, I can't say that it was playing them because I'm actually not not good and don't spend a lot of time doing it. But I did find myself, especially during COVID, kind of developing a hobby of building guitars and other woodworking projects that kind of help my mind work in a different way and focus on different things and, and channel energies in, in, in different ways as well. So that that's how... Sometimes I find my energies and channel them to a different place. Yeah, it's interesting. Working working with your hands to build is is so primal and so human. People can't see my background, but one of my uh, one of my hobbies is weaving Navajo style rugs. Even though I have no no Navajo uh, background in my in my blood, but when I'm doing that, I'm just completely lost in the activity and and the world dissolves around me. Well, Iran, it was such a pleasure having you on, and, and thank you for sharing your wisdom of your experiences at at Gong. And congratulations on shifting over to the the new role, leading up the ecosystem and business development function. Thank you, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.